Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't this want week, you to do anything, five, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going Jesus through, see where we are, Isaiah and we can move on our behalf. So I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to Heaven is my even throne more and the earth is Jesus. my what is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Now, again, you get to have to hear this. Of course, several of you haven't heard this, but we get to rehash this out every week just to make sure you get it. Can you imagine God asking us to build him something? Whom of you in this room is capable of building God something grand enough or worthy enough for him? He goes on to say, if heaven is the, my throne and earth, it's not posing a question there But heaven is my throne. We could say, if heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, what is the house that you would build for me? Doesn't that change the whole idea of that question? If heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, whom of you will build a house for me? What is the place of my rest? In the next verse, he says, all these things my hand has made. And so these things came to be. Now, Before we move on, jump with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And I love how an Old Testament and New Testament scripture come together uh, beautifully. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hold right there. He's just said in Isaiah through the prophet Build me a, who can build a house for me? And then he says, I've done it. And then we've got this picture here. It's grace that you've been saved by faith. It's not your own doing. What, are we the temple of the Holy Spirit? Can we prepare this temple enough that actually has them? Can we be good enough? Can we be righteous enough? Can we put it together enough so that we can truly house the very presence of God within us? No, but we get to. But look at verse 10. For we... We are, say, I am. Say, I am created in Christ. I'm sorry, I am his workmanship. I was created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. You see that he has done the work. And going back to Isaiah, sorry, Abigail, jumping all over the place. Verse 2 It says, all these things my hand has made, and so these things came to be, declares the Lord. You see the connection here, that he is doing the work? We are saved by him doing the work, not by anything that we do. So powerful. And then I love this. This is the theme. This is where it all boils down to. This is where we get the stopping power of Jesus. And it says, but this is the one whom I will look. And if God is going to outline somebody through the prophet in whom he's going to look to, he's going to stop for, I think we should all pause for a minute and experience who this one is. Maybe pay attention to the attributes in which he's going to describe and say, maybe I need to line up with this person and be that person. And he does this very clearly. He says, he who is humble, say humble. He who is contrite in spirit, say contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Basically, he's saying, he who could care less about his life but hangs on everything that I am. And we know that Jesus is the word In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. 
Can you shut that door for me, please? When was the last time we trembled at the feet of Jesus? I tell you, Mary got it right when she fell at his feet and she trembled. And Jesus had a moment of stopping for her. I ask you this morning, are you that person? I think we had an encounter this morning where we had an opportunity when Jesus is in this room. You could say he walked into this room, but his presence was already here when we walked into this place. And for a moment, there was a tremble in this place. And he stopped. So recapping the last few weeks, this is week five, but week one, we looked at Bartimaeus and we relabeled him from blind Bartimaeus to seeing Bartimaeus and we discovered that Jesus stopped. The word said those exact words and Jesus stopped. And we discovered if Jesus stopped for him, we must stop. For others, And then in week two, we looked at the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed. And the man made every excuse as to why he couldn't. And we discovered through that message that we can't make excuses as to why God can do something through us. We said no more excuses. And then week, week three, we looked at, Z- at Zacchaeus. And we discovered that as he is an unlikely candidate, we too are unlikely candidates. But we need to put that aside and realize it's not our power in which God works. It's his power in which he works through us and we can do great and mighty things for us. And then last week we looked at Lazarus as Jesus raised him from the dead and we answered the question in this room, does God move or does Jesus move too late? And we discovered that he wants to get his glory through what he does in our lives and he never moves too late. He always moves right to get the glory. And today... We're going to look at week five. We're going to look at the story when Joseph wrestles with Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're going to answer this. Actually, we're going to look at this. We're not going to answer a question. We're going to look at our reliance upon him. Our reliance upon him. And we're going to take it a next step further. We're going to say, I don't need to do this on my own. Because this is how I fight my battles. Isn't that cool? This is how I fight my battles. So why don't you turn with me, if you can, to Genesis 32, 22. 32, 22. Some of this will be up there. Not all of the scripture is going to be up there on the board this morning. For those of you who haven't been around me in a while, I've toned down just a touch. I've become a little bit more conversational. I still get excited. Genesis 32, 22 through 31. It says, the same night he arose. This is talking about Joseph. He arose and he took his two wives, two female servants, and 11 children. Now, before you even think that I'm going to condone multiple wives by this story, I'm just going to tell you things changed. God didn't, but this did. His 11 children, and I'll also tell you, you actually had 12 in this moment. And I'm sorry, girls, ladies in this room. He had a daughter at this time. She didn't get credit for anything. That's just culturally speaking. The Bible doesn't condone sexism or anything like that. It is an equal opportunity book, but we're just looking at the culture of the old time. Uh, And it says, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob, he was left alone. It's a scary time when you're left alone. Just going to tell you that. And a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. 
Got to look at that real quickly and real closely. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. We realize this is an all-night event that happened in just a few simple words. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, do you see in this moment that Jacob has fought this man till the break of day and the man who fought him did not prevail? Do you see the picture of a tough, resilient, strong man? That's going to be important to see in just a minute. And he did not prevail against Jacob, and he touched. The man touched Jacob's hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for this day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man. And have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, and he said, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now, I want us to see several things here, but, but first, Jacob. The picture that we get here, I'm going to move on over here. Jacob now feels himself strong in the end of this story, not in himself. This is powerful. But in the Lord and the power of his might. Understand that. We're going to look at that. And then we also need to get a a big picture of the background of Jacob to truly get the impact of this story. So we're going to look at the whole life of Jacob in a brief but few moments here. In Genesis 25, backing up, we see the birth of Jacob. And he was birthed as a twin. He had a twin brother, Esau. Esau was born first, but barely because Jacob came out holding the heel of Esau. And then in Genesis 25, verses 21, this is just before they're born. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And she went on to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. What a, can you imagine moms in the room? Getting a word from God that says your, your two children within you will never get along. They will be divided. You're like, can you just get along for a moment? Never. Right? That's just not going to happen, at least in the beginning. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, culturally, that was a big deal because the older always had the rights, always was in charge. But in this instant, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field. So we get this. Esau, hunter, man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man. He was dwelling in tents. So Esau, man's man, went out. Remember hearing this when we, when we watched in youth uh, with um, Stephen Furtick? You know, Esau, man's man, Jacob, mama's boy. He could cook, clean, 
He liked to hang out with the servant girls, not because he liked to do their hair, help them with their makeup, right? Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Daddy's boy, mama's boy. You get it? Now, it's also important here to get Jacob's name, which means he takes the hill or he cheats. Right out the gate, Jacob is known as a cheater. Now, a little bit later, in Genesis 25, another significant thing that happens in this life is Esau sells Jacob his birthright. This is significant. Why? Because Esau trades something significant. He trades an eternal reward for a temporal thing. Talked about that a lot, too, for those of you who used... Okay, live stream, some of my youth group when I was a youth pastor hanging out here, and I taught on this a lot about trading the eternal for a temporal. Trading in this moment... A great a reward trading in for eternal rewards. And so in Genesis 25, 29 through 34, it says, when Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I don't understand why you would serve your birthright or sell your birthright for a bowl of beans. But that's what happened. So I don't have time to preach a message on that. Just know don't trade the eternal for the temporal. It never works out well. That's a purity message if I've ever heard one. Then... Uh, we get the, the place, uh, next step, Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And this story here, if you'll remember right, if you've, if you've ever heard the story, is, is uh, Esau, we know from the beginning, was a hairy dude, deep voice. Jacob was a smooth mama's boy. Um, he probably shaved everything, uh, at least exposed everything. I'm going to move on from there. Um, he was cleanly shaven. He had a bald head. Anyway, Lord Jesus, help me. Uh, Anyway, um, and Jacob had worked with his mom to get the blessing. Esau was going to bless Esau. Jacob, in this moment, puts on some goat's fur, dresses like Esau, prepares a meal for his dad, and goes in and deceives his dad, who is poor of sight. His dad blesses him. Esau comes in to get his blessing. His dad's like, too late. I already blessed your brother. I can't bless you. You just can't undo a blessing, however that works. And there's an answer to a prophecy that, takes, that, that took place that we read earlier about the older serving the younger. Genesis 27, 34 through 40. Let me read that. As soon as Esau, sorry, we're just setting the background here. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Very strong words right there. He hasn't just deceived, but he's taken. He's taken. It's totally upon your brother, he's saying. And Esau said, it is not rightly named. It is he, sorry. Is he not rightly named Jacob? Bringing out the name meanings. Is he not rightly named cheater? For he has cheated me with two, uh, these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said, Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers, and I have given him for what serve? Given him four servants, not number four, but I've given him servants. 
And with grain and wine, I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. But your sword you shall live, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Pay attention. When you grow restless, you'll be able to break that yoke. There's light at the end of that tunnel. We don't always see that. But there's hope. There's restoration beyond what's about to happen here. So there's that. That's the answer to the prophecy in Genesis 25. Then in Genesis, 20, Genesis 27, Jacob begin, begins to be fearful of his life. He works with his mother, Rebekah, to be sent away to Rebekah's brother, Laban, in another land. But before that happens, in verse 20, or chapter 28, Jacob has a, a dream at Bethel. After the dream, he promises to give a full tenth of everything he has. But listen to the dream. Well, I'm not going to read the dream, but there's a significance about this dream because God promises that he'll return to this land and everything will be his. Then there's the significance in 25, Jerry. Jerry. I don't know where Jerry came from. Jacob and Mary. Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. Uh, we've heard that story, very significant thing here. Leah and Rachel are Laban's daughters. Um, uh, he sees Rachel and he's like, oh, I want her. J- uh, Jacob says, no, he sees, yeah, Rachel, I want her. She's beautiful. Leah has a lazy eye. She's not very pretty. Jacob says, I'll work for you seven years. Give me your daughter. Laban says, sure thing. He worked seven years and somehow after the wedding, he makes it right with the wrong daughter. And he's like, how did you deceive me, Laban? And all we can think of is, well, you reap what you sow, I guess. But he worked for seven years for Leah at this point. And Laban says, okay, fulfill your marital duties for one week to Leah And then I will give you Rachel, but you must stay another seven years. And we've got an awesome picture here of grace and law. Leah represents the law. You must work to have. Rachel represents grace. You have and then you stay. It's a beautiful thing. I I love the the law says I must do to get. Uh, Grace says I get, then I do. It's not forced upon, but I get. So we've got that. And then the girls together with their servants and them give uh, uh, Joseph, 12 children. We've got Reuben uh, by Leah, Reuben, son of God. Simeon means heard. Levi, attached. By Rachel's servant, Bilhah, we've got Judah, means praise. Dan, judge. Naphtali, wrestling. By Leah's servant, this is so confusing. It's a soap opera. Uh, Zilpah, Gad, uh, by Leah's servant, Gilpah, we have Gad, which means good fortune. Asher, happy. By Leah, Issachar, wages. Zebulun, honor. Then we have a daughter, uh, Dina, and then Rachel, finally. If you notice, all of those children, Rachel, the favorite wife, is barren until we have Joseph. I said Joseph earlier, but Jacob. We have Joseph, and it says may add, but also sounds like taken away. If you know the story of Joseph, that's very interesting. Anyway, I know there's a lot going on. Genesis 30, oh my goodness, we're moving on. Jacob plans to go home after God tells him to. This is a really interesting story because he goes to Laban and he says, I really have nothing because everything I've done has been for your gain. And what's interesting is when there's drought we've had, 
when there's been other uh, people that their, their livestock has been dying, ours has been sustained. We've never had a, a, a blemish on our herd. God has blessed what I've put my hand to. And he says, Laban, I, I would love an inheritance. God, I want to go back to my home and I want to have something to take with me. I've married your two daughters. I've worked for you faithfully. And, and Laban and, and uh, um, Jacob put together a plan. He says, okay, here's how this is going to work. For a season, every spotted lamb that my herd has, you can have. So Jacob has this thing that he puts out something. And for an entire season, every single uh, birth that the, the, um, the flock has is spotted. And then the next season, he puts out sticks as, as the, their, each lamb is conceived. And that season, every single animal that is birthed is striped. And so he winds up getting a huge inheritance, and God worked that out. And so he decides that he's just going to, in, in fear that Laban's going to go back on his word, he just up and leaves, takes his daughters, takes his inheritance, takes his servants, and leaves and doesn't say goodbye. And Laban's ticked. And so Laban pursues Jacob, and, and there's this, this idea that Laban can go after him and do some harm to him. And um, in Genesis 31, Laban goes to pursue him, but God speaks to Laban and says, if you get to him, well, you can't say anything to him, good or bad. Just shut your mouth. Let him go. Shut your mouth. So there's an exchange between them two, but it's neither good nor bad because Laban is afraid of his life. And so Jacob is on his way now, and he hears that he's going to meet Esau, his brother, and he's afraid of his life. Now, this is where we are. We are now up to the story in which Jacob wrestles with the man. Now, this whole thing I've told you, everything up to this point, Jacob has worked for. Jacob has done it in his own power, in his own strength. Jacob is self-made. He's fought his battles. He's had his victories. The only place I see where God truly intervened was through the inheritance of the lambs. But Jacob has been a self-made. He's a prideful man. He has done this on his own. So Jacob is now getting ready to go meet Esau, and he's trying to figure out, how can I preserve my inheritance, because when I come against Esau, surely he's going to attack me. Surely he's going to want what is right, what is his. And so he separates his inheritance half over here and half over here. And he knows he's got to meet Esau, so he's prepared to take him and just half of his inheritance to go meet Esau and leave the other half. He's like, if, if I lose all of this, at least I'll still have all of that. Do you see Jacob still working in his own power? See, Jacob couldn't sing, this is how I fight my battles, the way we sing it tonight, today, this morning. He's singing, I fight my own battles, and this is how I've planned to do this. And so God has to intervene. In order for things to work out the way God has intended, there has to be a little case of humble pie to come to Jacob. There's got to be an instant where God can intervene and work something out so that we can really say that we are, or that Jacob is totally reliant upon God so that things can come in line and say that I don't need to do this on my own. Jacob needed a reality check to come to a place where he could say, you're right, I don't need to do this on my own. It's really a trust factor. So let's look back at Genesis 32 again. Genesis 32. And read this in a whole new light with the background in context. And it says again, 
The same night he arose and he took two of his wives, his two female servants, and his, seven, or his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. I want you to, if you can, take note of that. A man wrestled with him. It's key, that word, a man. And when a man, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched him in his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was now put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let's go, for this day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, what is it that you ask? Why is it that you ask my name? And, he, and there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place. Peniel said, listen to this. This is, this is crucial. So we earlier in verse 24, a man wrestled with him. And in verse 30, for I have seen the face of God. Now the Bible says he wrestled with a man. Referencing this man, he says, for I've seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. Who is this man that he's wrestling with? Then the sun rose upon him and he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Now I need to, I need, we need to figure out who is he wrestling with. Now, some scholars have said it's an angel. Does this say anywhere in here that he's wrestled with an angel? So we've got to take some scriptural fa- some scripture at its at face value. He wrestled with a man, but he also says he's seen God face to face. Now in Exodus 33, God says to Moses, No man can see my face and live. Now, if we go back to the very beginning of the, the Bible in um, in, in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. So we know there's a God head. We know that there's got to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son, we read in John 1, that the Son was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we've got this man here wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, but yet the word of God says it was a man, the only thing in my mind that I can conclude is that this man had to have been the man of the Godhead, the pre-incarnate, the pre-Jesus. In this moment, Jesus stopped for Jacob. So here we have an instance where we have Jacob trying to do things on his own. But Jesus here not only stopped for Jesus, but he does so much more. He does so much more. Now, Look with me if you can. This isn't going to be up there at Genesis 33. This is just a sidebar. So we've got this scenario where Jacob has now wrestled with Jesus. Jacob was his own man. Jesus has now met with Jacob. Jacob has now fought Jesus all night long. 
He's discovered, now he doesn't know him as Jesus. He knows him as God. But he has now discovered through this encounter that he has now become weakened but strengthened. He's discovered that he cannot do this on his own. He has to do it with the empowering of this man. This man blesses him and he renames him Israel. Israel is now a meaning of prince, one with God. It's powerful. And then watch this encounter. Now, after this, now I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you some observations. So I'm not even close to being done. Sorry. This is good. This is good stuff though. And in, in uh, G- Genesis 33, look at this encounter between Jacob and Esau. This could never have happened like this unless Jacob had an instance to trust God. It says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Now, Jacob could have been freaked out beyond his mind. But we also get this idea, what's happened to Esau? Now, in my understanding, that Esau should have been weaker and bitter. But Esau restarted and he built his life and just as it was said by his father that when you, when you get in, in um, verse 40 of Genesis 27, it says, when you go restless, you shall break this yoke or the yoke of your brother from your neck. Who are these 400 men? You think they're people that are following him, that are sold out to his story and his leadership? Esau has stepped up to the plate too, Right? And he's coming with all his grandeur. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and his two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front of Leah with her children. And Rachel and Joseph, last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. He did not come to fight. He came humble. You see this? I don't think this is the same Joseph that we would have read just a few chapters before. But listen again to the description of Esau. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Esau has knelt before Jacob and he's kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Esau's moved on. Then the servant drew near and they and their children, they bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. He came. Initially, you realize that Jacob was going to separate his family in two in case there was a battle. Now he's offering. And Esau's like, I have enough. I need not. This is a whole different message, right? But we've had a change in something in Jacob. We've had Esau in a situation where he's no longer bound by the chains of what has happened by missing out on the blessing. And Esau has stepped up and said, I will not. 
And, and many of us have allowed circumstances to hinder who we are, have hindered our advancement, have hindered where we're going to go. We've allowed what somebody has said or what somebody has done, and we've forgotten who God has called us to be. And Jacob has now stepped into the place of knowing who God has called him to be. So I want to look at some observations from this story. I'll try to wrap up here. A little bit longer this morning, but it's in, in my mind, this is where it gets good. Observations from just the, the middle part, from the wrestling with God portion. I want, I want us to not discredit, don't discredit the midnight battles. Don't discredit the midnight battles. Uh, looking at Jesus, Jesus, before he walked on the water, he went up and he climbed on a, on a mountaintop. And he, and he had a time in the midnight to work out some things with God. He, he mourned the loss of John the Baptist. The disciples were battling the midnight hour, and he met them. In Mark 14, we see where Jesus is travailing just before he is betrayed. He goes to his disciples. It is cold in here. He goes to his disciples, and he, and he says, could you not tarry one hour? But I want us to realize that just because it's in the middle of the night, that doesn't necessarily mean those are literally at the middle of the night. These aren't just then. They are often battles that seem like you're alone. But you've got to realize in, in Deuteronomy 31, God promised Joshua that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. Paul later quotes it in Hebrews. We are not alone, but sometimes we've got to fight those battles with him fighting them for us. Don't discredit those midnight battles. Those are oftentimes when we're the most victorious because those are the times when we truly have to surrender and let him fight them for us. Number two, observation. God wants, us to, wants to bring us to complete reliance upon him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Was the work that was happening with Jacob here? Jeremiah seventeen five through eight says, "Thus says the Lord: Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good. He shall dwell in the per, in parched places and in the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord." He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and who does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruits. Observation three, we'll fly through these. God's calling isn't easy. God's calling isn't always easy. Jacob wrestled all night long. Second Corinthians 4.16 though says this, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's not easy to come here. It's not easy to say yes to God. But it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Number four, until we see ourselves as weak, he won't be our strength. Second Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with the weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We talked about Jacob was a self-made man. God had to do something before he could become Israel. What was that something? We, I thought that was cool. We have to do, he had to do something. He had to touch his hip. And we've got to be careful of what we say is a blessing and what is not a blessing. You see, this that we think of him touching the hip of Israel or of Jacob, we, we might think that's a curse. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning, God does not put sickness upon his people. God doesn't put cancer on us to teach us a lesson. God doesn't cause these things in our lives to teach us a lesson. But we've also got to be careful at which we label as a blessing and a curse. God is a God that blesses. But I will tell you with all of my heart in this instance, what happened at the hip of Jacob was a blessing and not a curse. Because what it did is it drew Jacob to a complete reliance upon God where he had to hang on God for everything from that moment on. Be careful what you are going through to to label it a curse or a blessing. What you really need to do is just trust God to bring you through it. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. My fifth and final point in closing, the best part of it all, he changes our nature. It's what he did with Israel here. Verse 28, he says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. The meaning of Israel here is Prince of God, in God, with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, we make excuses. We try to say that, well, that's just who I am. We blame our past. We blame our parents. We blame our DNA. We blame our circumstances. But we've got to realize that we were created a new creation as soon as we said yes to Christ. The nature of Jacob was to do it on his own, to rely upon himself. But in this moment, in this battle between him and God, God gave him a new nature. We see that throughout the rest of his life. I want to ask you this morning, what nature are you living in? Who are you relying upon? Are you doing it on your own? Are you trusting in God? Are you making it possible for you to rise above on your own? Listen, the world says that's strength. But the word of God says he is our strength.
I really think the best way to close this out is to re-sing, do that song one more time. If we can do that song one more time, just make it count. And ask him to change your nature. Say, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to tell him, God, I'm sorry for doing this on my own. I'm sorry I've tried to make things happen my own way. Let's let him fight some battles for us this morning. Can we do that? Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.